Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. John Johnson, a Republican from the great state of Wisconsin, serves on the Homeland Security, Governmental Affairs and Budget and Finance Committees. Uh, Senator, expeditiously the money needs to get to to Israel. But you know how you get what you want if you're the president? You roll it in with another project. Well, first of all, in the case of support for Israel, Israel, that's not true. If they roll that into other into a spending package where there are more controversial items, it's going to delay this support for Israel. So that's why conservatives have been calling, Republicans have been calling to separate those things out. I hope the, the House now that's back in business, we talked to House conservatives last night, they'll pass a Israel-only funding package, hopefully pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we suggested to pay for it with some of the green energy boondoggle spending. Uh, but get that over to the Senate mm -hmm. and let's get that passed. The funding for Israel to the extent that there should be any and funding for Ukraine to the extent that there should be any are separate conversations. It doesn't matter that the left wants to tie them together. It does not matter. Their wants do not equate to their gets. They are not in charge. Rational thought is in charge. And I'm a guy who is okay with supporting Ukraine when it comes to ammunition, when it comes to artillery, when it comes to the weapons. Because I would rather uh, Vladimir Putin be fought and not take any of Ukraine. We might disagree on that. But tie Ukraine funding and Israel funding? No. And then we should ask ourselves, what is the funding for? In the case of Israel, it's not just an economic conversation. It's a conversation of recognizing who the enemy is. And when Joe Biden states clear as day that he doesn't trust the numbers coming out from Hamas regarding the dead or the injured, that is a huge win and an incredible blow for Rashida Tlaib, that Jew-hating bigot who should be expelled from the House of Representatives. It's actually honest, so much so that it is stunning. Who knew it could happen? Don't worry. He'll then do things like telling you that you got to give more money uh, to Gaza. And then he'll tell Israel, you have to follow the rules of law. And then, of course, pushing Israel to delay in a ground offensive so the U.S. can, you know, have uh, rocket installations installed. I don't know if delaying the ground invasion is such a good idea. I also don't think it's a good idea to allow northern Gaza to exist anymore. But what can I say? I'm only one voice. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. We are trying to get more information on what took place in Maine. This shooting, this manhunt that is still going on. The number that was reported was 22, but we have been at this long enough, guys. We know numbers change. At the latest count, uh, according to the governor, Janet Mills, 18 people dead, 13 people injured. We were told that it was 22 people dead and 50 injured. This gunman, and I don't usually use names, but this is a manhunt, so in this case, I will. Robert Card, a 40-year-old. Eight murder warrants out for his arrest at this moment. 
opened fire in a bowling alley and a nearby bar. When I say nearby, it wasn't around the corner. Somebody had to get in their car and drive. Somebody had to get in there. I mean, that, that's the only way you would have gotten from one place, I think, uh, to another. There's a little bit of distance in there. As we know right now, Card is a trained firearms instructor in the Army Reserve. Stationed out of the National Guard base in Saco, Maine. I think it's pronounced Saco. I haven't heard it said yet. S-A-C-O. It could be Saco, but I think it's pronounced Saco, S-A-C-O. This guy, according to multiple reports, has reported hearing voices. He was reportedly committed to a mental health facility over the summer, was there for two weeks, and was then released, threatened to shoot up the base where he was assigned. The questions are never-ending at this moment. Who was watching him? A guy who's hearing voices and threatens to shoot up an army base. Only two weeks. Weapons don't, there's not a system within the military for taking those weapons. Should there be? And for the people who are now yelling, this is why we need gun control. I can point you to paragliding terrorists as a reason why I absolutely will not have my Second Amendment rights taken from me in the United States, no matter what. My right to keep and bear arms, to protect myself and my family, is paramount. And I'm not giving it up no matter the horror. But I will recognize with everything in me that this is horror. This is obscene. But I want to know what was done I want to know what was known by whom or how many people said, oh, can we please just not deal with this? Can we, can we deal with other things like using the proper pronouns? I want to know how much time was spent on pronoun talk and how little time was spent worrying about the guy who was hearing voices who had access to these guns. Because the issue is not the gun itself. That much is obvious. Only the most irrational amongst us Only the most ridiculous amongst us could think that the issue is the gun. You would have to be a fool's fool to believe that the gun here is the problem. Well, hello, Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. Poppy, I certainly hope not. President Biden signed into law last year uh, the biggest progress we've made forward on closing uh, loopholes in the gun background check system uh, and investing tens of billions of dollars more in community mental health. But yesterday we took a vote on the floor of the Senate uh, on relaxing the standards for access to guns um, for veterans who have been adjudicated mentally ill. Actually, I may be wrong. That may be a vote coming up today. Um, We do have a country that is sharply divided in terms of our understanding on the limits on gun rights. It was one of President Biden's big accomplishments, along with a bipartisan group here in the Senate. Just as a a, a moment, uh, sir, we are not divided on our understanding on the limits of gun rights. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. 
That's it. The story here is that you had a guy who was committed. You had a guy who was hearing voices. What was done? What happened next? All the laws in the world. This guy was training people on firearms. This guy was a member of of the military in some capacity. Again, these stories can change a little bit. So I say this with, with a little bit of salt as we get more data. But what in that situation do you think you were going to legislate regarding loopholes? What, sir, if I can be, if I can ask with all due respect, the hell are you talking about? Stop. Stop. Maybe the different question should be asked. Why is there so much mental illness? Is this new? Has this been with us for forever? Why did a guy who was hearing voices, why was it only two weeks? What other moves were made? What other defenses were given? Drives to two locations. Does he know anything about these locations? Had he mentioned these locations before? There was a bar and it was an entertainment complex, a bowling alley. The screaming for gun control comes from the ignorant the weak, and those who fail society. We have discussed this many times, and I certainly will not stop. What lies underneath? What is bringing us to the moment? And how do we make that stop? Mental illness is new? It's just now in 2023 or the last three years or the last five years? Does that sound right to you? And if that is indeed the case, well, then what exactly has been introduced into the society that has caused this? Or what has been extricated from society that needs to be reintroduced? What is it? It's one or it is the other. Because the idea that this was always the way it was is not true. The idea that this is always the way it has to be is equally untrue. But the removal of rights does not make our lives better. We are not safer if people like Senator Coons or people like the beta Senator Murphy or others have the ability to take from us the right to protect and defend ourselves and the ones we love. We are not better off. But it takes real effort to dig down. It takes real effort to hold people accountable. And there might be people in the military who are held accountable. Then again, what are they really accountable for? They use the right pronoun. They had the right drag shows. I mean, they can't be bad guys. They read all the right books on social justice this and racial that and white privilege this. Oh, they read it all, so therefore they must be super fine and our military in the best condition. You understand that the people who choose to serve are good people. The people teaching them, they have some issues at the very top. But if your focus is on things that don't matter, 
things that keep you from focusing on things that do matter, what value do they have? And the answer is none. If Mossad was in the business, as we have been told, of trying to push some kind of anger regarding Benjamin Netanyahu's desire to reform the judiciary, which could use it, and they took their eyes off the Hamas prize, start firing people or executing them. But look what happens when you take your eyes off the goal, your eyes off the focus. I can say that about Israel. I don't have enough data here yet. So let us wait for more. But let us not take any guff from any of these gun control freaks who know nothing and don't care that they don't know. They just want to believe through absolute fear that somehow their life will be better if you have less rights. That doesn't work. Tell them no and tell them to go to hell. And uh, you can choose which order you do it. I'm Tony Katz. Buy guns, buy ammo, get trained. That's the thing to do. And if the anti-Semitism around the country hasn't yet proven this to you. I do not know what will. I do not know what will. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Now, I'll get into the whole Cooper Union thing and Cooper Union College where these Jewish students were in a library. And, of course, you had uh, the... uh, the protest from the pro-Hamas crowd. Well, Tony, the pro-Hamas crowd was going to be there um, on the campus where the dean said they weren't supposed to be. And the Jewish students in the library felt like they had to lock themselves in. The librarian actually locked them in to keep them safe from people banging on the door, screaming from the river to the sea, which is, of course, a call to genocide. The librarian did let the Jews know that if you want, you can hide in the attic because somehow Anne Frank came back. Hide in the attic. Bitch, you crazy. I don't hide in attics. Windows are for cheaters, chimneys for the poor. Closets are for hangers. Winners use the door. That's a little that's a little Bruce people. A little Rosalita going on. Hide in the attic. You hide in the attic. I'm done with the days of hiding in the attic. Not hiding from anyone. So the Cooper Union story needs to get told. It needs to be understood. It also needs to be understood that yesterday. In Los Angeles, a man breaks into a home, home of a Jewish family, threatening to kill them. The father fought him off into the backyard. He was then arrested. As he's being arrested, you know what he's shouting? Free Palestine. That's what he's shouting. Free Palestine. I'm, I'm here to tell you that um, 
You're not breaking into my house without me responding. Now, how about we just don't break into my house? That'd be nice. But you don't think I'm more prepared now than I was three weeks ago, a month ago? Well, you could argue it was Tony. He was probably pretty prepared. All right, good point. Good point. Maybe I shouldn't share the new things. Breaking into your house shouting free Palestine. If the father wasn't able to push him out into the backyard, what happens to that family? What happens to those kids? If the people chanting for genocide get into the library, what happens there? Oh, Tony, they were unarmed. It wasn't a big deal. So says you. If the students inside the library were black and the people outside the library were from Charlottesville, it would be front page news everywhere and all we would talk about is the lecture of white supremacy. But we don't talk about this because it happened to Jews and who actually gives a damn. Am I right or am I right or am I right? If Jews haven't figured out, remember, these are my people, right? And I would argue, I guess, if, if others haven't figured out, because it, to think that what's happened in Israel, and what's happening with this anti-Semitism is only happening to Jews, I think is, is the wrong thought. But it is, it must be, uh, of course, first that it is happening to Jews specifically. What I mean is we're all affected by this. Remember what this conversation of colonialism, this conversation of genocide is. This conversation is a way not of so much attacking Jews, but to get others to leave Jews, to walk away from them, to scapegoat them, to blame them, to engage Pavlovian response, which is what we've seen on college campuses from these very ignorant college students who don't get any leadership from their professors nor their administration, so they're left to the ignorance. It's meant to divide them and isolate. So it is an effect on you if you're not Jewish as much as as an effect on me being Jewish. We're both in this together. And part of of being in this is the recognition that there would be outrage if you added another group in. Black, Hispanic, women, gay, trans... Oh, there'd be outrage. Outrage. But you get nothing. You get nothing because it's Jews. And as for the trans conversation, have you heard Dershowitz on this? And let these students who signed this demonstration, blaming it all in Israel, let them go and volunteer gay students for Palestine in Gaza, transgender students for Palestine in Gaza. You know how long they would last? One day they'd be hanged from the rafters. The best proof that this is all anti-Semitism, as Jonathan Greenblatt said, the best proof is that these groups that they support hate gays, they hang them, hate transgender people, hate women, treat them as third-class citizens, and yet these protesters are willing to give them a pass on these core issues as long as they also hate Jews and the nation's state of the Jewish people. Is what is. There's so much of this happening. And I've got it all listed at TonyCats.com. You want the list of all the anti-Semitism and all the campuses all across the country? 
TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. figure out this economy because I cannot you figure it out you figure out how the GDP grew at 4.9% do you know how big that number is Uh, uh, allow me that number is out of control huge if we were growing at 4.9% a quarter I don't even I, I, I'd be afraid. That is that is a China kind of number of growth. And remember, they also lie. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And, and uh, it's funny. I was going to reach out to you about this. You reached out to me about something else, which I had already kind of known about, but I wanted to dig into. But this 4.9% number freaked me out until I read that this can include not only consumer spending, increased inventories, which I have questions about, exports, residential investment, but government spending. So let's start with the basics, Dr. Matt Will. 4.9%, what does this number tell you? Well, it's a good number. I mean, come on, 4.9% is huge. We should be very happy about it. But I have to give you an example. Let's take the example, Tony, of if you walked into the street and you had a new Bugatti, you had a Rolex watch, you had a diamond pinky ring, and everyone's saying, wow, things must be going great. But then we find out that, you know, it's not because you had an expansion of ratings or a huge new, uh, you know, network of people taking on your show. That would be wonderful. But what if you did it because you simply put it on your credit card? You simply said, hey, I've got a new Bugatti, but I charged it to my credit card. So the 4.9 doesn't tell us much. We have to look under the hood. And what we find out is the reason this number is high is not for a lot of good reasons. It's actually for some bad reasons. Let's talk about those bad reasons because the market has responded as, oh, yeah, this is not great. The Dow is down 173. The Nasdaq is down 236. I think one of the bad reasons is that they include government spending. Was there something that got attributed, whether it was a COVID spend or something else, that would make this number rise so greatly? Sadly, this is simply back to the old government spending mentality. It's not COVID spending. It's not any kind of recovery spending. It's strictly regular government spending. And if we dig into the details, this is what we find. Consumer spending, government spending, and inventories. Those are the three driving factors. And the government spending, federal government spending, is up, up 6.2%. That is dragging this up. And that is not a good reason for the GDP to go up because the government is growing at 6.2%. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. This is regular, plain old USDA choice spending, but... We were last quarter, I think, what, what, 2.1% in the second quarter? So we doubled it. That doesn't seem like everyday spending, sir. Well, there's more to it than that. Also, there's consumer spending. And this is what scares me. 
And as this relates to another topic that I think you and I may touch on here in a moment, which is loans. Because what happened last quarter is personal savings dropped from $1 trillion to $777 billion. That means the consumer took that much, almost $250 billion out of savings to buy daily stuff, and, and they took on significant amounts of debt, and they're starting to default on that debt. So for some reason, the consumer is not being very responsible at the moment. I can't understand why. I'm not a psychiatrist, but the consumer has some false thinking in how they're behaving right now. Let's talk about one of the places where this is starting to show. We know that credit card debt has topped $1 trillion. We know that the interest rates on credit card debt continues uh, to go up. It was Bloomberg reporting uh, a few days ago, went quietly by the stories, that car owners are falling behind on payments at the highest rate on record. What is the data and how do you interpret that? Well, the highest rate on record is now 6.11%. And we've only been keeping data since 1994. So 6.11% default rate on car loans. This is tragic because some of those car loans are people who are paying um, subprime rates, which may be 13, 14, 15% on a loan. But that's just the car loans. Credit card loans are defaulting at 7.2%. People have to think about this for a moment. A 6% default rate, that means 6% of all the loans aren't getting paid back. And then credit cards, 7% not getting paid back. And Moody's forecast that the credit card rate is going to go up to 10. 10% default. One in 10 people with credit cards won't pay them off. That is not a good thing because they're spending. Makes the GDP look good, but it's not a good thing long term. It can't be a good t- uh, thing long term at all because it means that that money is being spelt, spent elsewhere. As I have always understood it, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, the thing that you don't pay is your mortgage. It's much tougher to get you out of your house. It's much easier to repo your car. This is very backwards to me from a survival standpoint. I'm not arguing that you shouldn't pay your bills. I am saying that if you are up against the rock in the hard place, you would not pay your mortgage first and you would keep your car because you still need to get to work or do all the other things and have a chance to get out of the economic uh, issues that you're dealing with. So you're right. This is a very awkward kind of thing to witness. Has anybody out there proffered a guess, a philosophy, a theory that you think has at least some validity? Oh, uh, Tony, I know the answer. The answer is because the people that are getting mortgages have much stricter requirements than they did back in the crisis of 2008. In 2008, we had this disaster. We're seeing that disaster now play out in car loans and credit card loans. Because when you look at the Fitch report, that's the one you and I are referring to, that report talks specifically about subprime car loans. We haven't heard about subprime loans since the mortgage crisis of 08, which means car loans and credit cards are still being handed out like candy to people who can't pay them back, where mortgages are much tougher to get at the moment. Mortgages have been tougher, and we know that the 30-year fixed has gone uh, to um, 8, 8%. We take a look at the 10-year Treasury, which did crack 5%. It has been 5% all through, uh, uh, I think it was 
I wasn't. It was last week. It was in the 4.9s. Uh, earlier this week, right now, playing at 4.897. But that doesn't matter. The spread is now over 300 basis points. U.S. mortgage rates have moved higher for the seventh straight week. 8% is now the standard, correct? I'm sad to say that is true. And the other part of it is that if, if I've read the data right, it is 50% more expensive to buy a house than to rent a house. Correct? Yes, because you have closing costs. You have points you have to pay. Um, the bank has to make a profit, which is the spread. You have to buy a, an, an appraisal and a credit report. Yes. So, so you should rent. You shouldn't buy right now. Isn't that terrible to say, I'm recommending you rent a home rather than buy it? It's now for for places, you know, where where you can still maybe pay cash or whatever. If you've moved from a place that was very expensive, like California, you're moving to a place like Florida or something like that. It may still pay to to pay cash. There may actually be some deals on the table uh, from those highs. But I, I is is there anything that has historically shown that when renting is better than purchasing, it means X, like we see an inverted yield curve when you've got the six month doing better than the than the 10 year or the 30 year uh, on loans? Well, you know what, Tony, I don't have that information at my fingertips to tell you that, yes, renting is better. Uh, buying a home is better. It's very individually based and it's very market based, you know, Indiana versus New York versus California. So I, I don't know that I can give you an answer specifically on that. So I'm sorry. It's okay. I just didn't know if there was something, you know, that 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 existed with the inverted yield curve or or something like it. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, the continued unfine of this economy. Uh, My my argument has been that uh, you can either let these things happen to you or you can do things maybe uh, to help make it make it better. And one of the things that has come up in in anecdotal conversation, now this is a quasi-investing advice question, but I want it clear that I don't give investing advice. I know nothing. Politics, culture, cigars, I'm your guy. Investing, right out. You can invest in me. That's a smart investment. Me giving advice about the market. Are you seeing people or have you casually advised people that the best place for your money right now is those money markets paying over 5%. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a piece two days ago that, you know, your 401k used to be you put the money in there, you left it be, next thing you know, you were rich. Those days are over. Should you be still engaging in classic investing or should you be taking your investments, converting them to cash, and then putting them in some kind of 5% money market and, and leaving it be. I think I lost him. I think I lost well, Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Was the question too much? Are you there, Tony? T- yeah, I'm here. There you go. Good to have you back, sir. So okay, that was so the question. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll give you advice on this, and I will tell you that people should invest constantly, and they should be consistent in what they invest in. They shouldn't try to time the market and move it into this asset, out of stocks, into bonds, into treasuries. That's not a wise thing to do. People should invest regularly and constantly into the market. That being said, I have and my clients have tactically moved a little bit more into treasury short term. A little bit, not a lot, 
a little bit overweighting than we would normally be into treasuries because of that 5% that you're getting on short terms, a little less into equities at the moment. And if you have the ability to get in private equity, you should always be there. Yes, that's 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 more than I even understand. I, I, I admit clearly this is so, so not my world. Uh, the the economists, are you guys looking for something? Is there something that that a moment that happens uh, in in a, in a bad time and in a weird space where it indicates okay the turn is here, whether that turn is positive or negative? Um, yes, but the problem is the turn is negative. The Wall Street Journal had a really good um, article on the battle between Jerome Powell and federal spending. That means Biden. And that's something you and I have been talking about for many, many, many weeks. And that was an excellent article because it talked about the fact that the federal government is doing everything it can to harm the economy. And Jerome Powell is trying to save it. And uh, that's a negative sign, in my opinion, because federal spending is continuing. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. Trump got fined $10,000. And then he walked out of the courtroom. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. He got fined by this judge who had put a gag order on him. Oh, you can't say this. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, you can't say the other. Of course, you're trying to keep uh, a candidate from speaking. You're trying to influence an election. This is very obvious. Doesn't matter what you think. Of Trump and whether or not you think he's guilty of this, that, or the other, the timing of these uh, lawsuits, these indictments, the timing—I mean, the 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 application of gag orders—is to prevent him from being able to engage. It is what it is. The judge summons Trump from the defense table to testify about his comment to reporters about quote a person who's very partisan sitting alongside the judge. He also said, uh, you know, some things about the judge. The judge had ordered participants in the trial not to comment publicly about his staff. And uh, Trump, you know, the the judge was like, did you mean to say that uh, about me? And Trump was like, yeah. And then uh, he gets fined uh, uh, 10 grand and he walks out. He's like, look, Michael Cohen, who's in this trial right now, is a liar. He's admitted that he's lied repeatedly. I don't even know what we're doing here. You know who's on Trump's side? What? You, you, you have a guest. You don't have a guest. You want, you want me to just tell? All right, I'll, I'll just tell you. On Trump's side, the ACLU. <laughs> the ACLU has argued that the gag order in the federal election subversion case is unconstitutional. Now, this is a different court altogether. But Trump's getting support from an organization that has given up completely on the idea of being civil, never mind liberties, saying that the uh, order from Judge Tanya Chutkin, which limits what Trump can say about special counsel's Jack Smith's prosecution, 
violates his First Amendment rights. That's just amazing. And it must just mystify the political left. Because as we have seen, they have no interest in the rule of law. They have interest in power and power alone. They believe that because they feel it, it must be true. And anybody who doesn't, uh, therefore, you know, validate their feelings is clearly wrong. Even I note that you could put Jew hate in a newspaper. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer did it with a cartoon. Oh, they apologized for it. But holy crap. That was pretty nasty. Like, that's a cartoon that could have been, you know, uh, written by the Ayatollah or Germans in the 1930s. It was nasty as can be. The Jew hate is everywhere. You can write it. Of course you can. There are consequences. Someone may not hire you or someone may not want to talk to you. Someone may be discussed with you or pull funding from, let's say, Indiana University for what gets written in the student newspaper. Or they might say, I'm just going to disagree with this person. Where a student wrote that uh, the only way to have peace is if Palestine is free. Actual, actual article written in the Indiana Daily Student. It's it's a uh, the, the same author also believes that capitalism is evil and then quotes Marx like it's a good thing. So you, you understand what you're dealing with. But free speech has to exist for the speech that you hate and the people that you hate. It always has to start there. This is Tony Katz today.